Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School lesson for the sixth Sunday of Easter. That's May 22nd, 2022. And today we're revisiting a lesson we've looked at before from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. This is the story of the bronze serpent. So, because we've done this one before, this might be a shorter podcast, but we'll look at some things we didn't take a look at last time. Numbers chapter 21 is near the end of the 40 years in the wilderness. Israel has been there a long time. So, on the one hand, if you've been on a long journey, you should you should know what's going on. You should, know how th- you should know how things are going to work. On the other hand, you might be a little bit impatient for the trip to be over. In the case of the Israelites, they've been in the wilderness for nearly 40 years. For 40 years, the clothes haven't worn out. The shoes haven't worn out. For 40 years, God has provided miraculous food like bread from heaven and water from rocks and sweetened water from bitter springs. So by now, the people ought to know that even though the wilderness is not comfortable, God will still provide. And knowing that, they shouldn't be grumbling anymore. But guess what they're still doing in the book of Numbers? They're still grumbling. Now, they've spent 40 years in the wilderness because they doubted when they got to the border of the promised land the first time, and so the Lord declared that that generation would die out before the people entered the promised land. So on the one hand, they know that they should stop grumbling because the wages of sin is death. On the other hand, they know they shouldn't grumble because God keeps providing Nevertheless, because they're sinners, they keep on grumbling anyway. And, although they know of God's faithfulness, they're still probably pretty impatient for this journey to be over. Now, as we get near the end of the journey, there are still a few people left from that older generation who who have not yet died. And so in chapter 20, the chapter before this one, in chapter 20, verse 1, Miriam dies. She's the sister of Moses and Aaron. And then we have a couple of interludes in in chapter 20, verses 2 through 13. Guess what the people do? They grumble. They grumble because they're thirsty. And this is really a repeat of Exodus chapter 17. There, they grumbled because they were thirsty. They were sure that God had brought them out of Egypt to kill them in the wilderness. And there, God told Moses to strike a rock. And when Moses obeyed God's word, water flowed from the rock and everybody drank to their heart's content. This time around, the people grumble, they're thirsty, they, they're sure that this time God wants them all to die, and God tells Moses to speak to the rock instead of striking it, but Moses strikes the rock anyway. And as a consequence, God declares to Moses that neither he nor Moses will enter the promised land either. 
Now, at the end of, of chapter 20, Moses and the people of Israel are headed towards the border of the promised land. They need to go through the land of Edom. That's the shortest route to where they're going. But the Edomites refuse passage. They won't let um, they won't let the people of Israel go through, and this is a long-standing hatred. The Edomites are the children of Esau, brother of Jacob, and the Israelites are children of Jacob, and so they've they've not gotten along for a long time, and in the future they won't get along either. And so, because Edom says you can't come through our land, Moses and the Israelites have to go around Edom, make a long detour, which no doubt makes people even more grumbly than they were before. In, uh, at the end of chapter 20, Aaron dies. The high priest dies on top of a mountain, which may certainly point to Christ, our high priest, dying on Calvary for us. In his place, Eliezer becomes the high priest. And then at the start of chapter 21, the Israelites are attacked by Arad, the Canaanite king. And uh, after he attacks the Israelites and takes some captive, uh, the people of Israel go to war, defeat Arad, and destroy his cities, just raise them to the ground. All right. So they've they've just come across they've just come off a, a, a big victory over this Canaanite king. They've grieved the death of Aaron, they've grieved the death of Miriam. And now Moses is leading them closer to the promised land when we get to Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9, our text for today. So we read, From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. I add, again, The Bible goes on, and the people spoke against God and against Moses, I add again, and they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. As we mentioned before, the people have grumbled against Moses and God before. They did it in Exodus 14. They did it in Exodus 16. They grumbled again in Numbers 14. The people constantly grumble against God and again. Food falling from heaven for 40 years. Clothes and shoes don't wear out. Water whenever they need it. And still they're convinced after all this time that God has brought them out to die. And this is the classic sentence, the classic complaint. There is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food, which is to say, we don't want the food that God gives us. We want something else instead. So after all this time of God's provision in this difficult wilderness, they still complain about God and accuse him of plotting their death. And in this case, the Lord says, I'll give you what you what you claim. And we read, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, 
We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So the people accuse the merciful God, the holy God, of trying to kill them. And the Lord, we could say, withdraws his protective hand, which is the same as God bringing in judgment as well here. And so he sends fiery serpents among the people. Um, interesting word. Interesting here, the, the, the word for fiery is, is, is seraphim. So, uh, so um, as, as the seraphim are these fiery heavenly creatures, these are called seraphim serpents, and perhaps they're called fiery because, um, because they have kind of a bronzish, orangish color. And so as they slither on the ground in the sunlight, they look kind of like fire. Perhaps it is because when they bite some victim, the uh, venom causes a great fiery burning sting. But at any rate, the judgment upon the people for complaining against God is serpents in their midst. Now, this should probably remind them of Genesis chapter 3, when Satan, in the form of a serpent, tempted Adam and Eve to rebel against God, and they did. And remember that when Adam and Eve fell into sin... The first thing God did was promise a savior in Genesis 3.15. He said to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. And a, a quick note here. I think we've talked about this a, a few months ago now that, that offspring is not the best translation in that, in that passage because the word in Hebrew is, is seed. God says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. Now, the seed of the woman is kind of a nonsense phrase unless there's a miracle going on because... Because men have seed and women have eggs. And, you know, when a man and a woman really love each other, the, the seed and the egg meet, and you, that's how you get a baby. Um, this, this passage would, would make sense if, if um, God spoke of the egg of the woman, because women have eggs. But the idea of the seed of the woman implies that some woman along the way will have a male child without the help of a man and his seed. In other words, this is a prophecy not just of the Savior, but of the virgin birth, that Jesus will be born of the Virgin Mary. And, says God in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will defeat the devil and his seed, his offspring, which in a general sense is all those who oppose God and his people all those who seek to thwart God's will and destroy the church. So, here in Numbers 21, the people of God, 
grumble against God. They rebel against him as Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And so as Adam and Eve followed a serpent in Genesis 3, now the serpents follow the people around and bite them to show that the wages of sin is still death. And after many people die, the people come to Moses and confess their sin, and they ask him to intercede on their behalf and pray to God in heaven. And so Moses, as a type of Christ, prays on their behalf that the Lord would would deliver them from the serpents. And God gives this just kind of bizarre command Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So that's what Moses does. He he makes a serpent out of bronze, lifts it up on a high pole, and, uh, and, and people who look to the serpent on the pole, this bronze serpent, will live. Now, why does this graven image, this bronze serpent, have the power to heal? Because God said it had the power to heal. And, and, and so um, in that case, it's, it's sort of sacramental in that God adds his word to an earthly element, a bronze snake, and it gives life and salvation to those who look at it. Um, we'll note that later on during the time of the judges, the people start to worship the bronze snake and make it a god. And so one of the judges, I believe it's Gideon, crushes it into pieces so that it's no longer an idol to be worshipped. But, but more than a means of delivering the people from snake bites, more than a, a sort of sacrament in the Old Testament here, the bronze serpent points to Christ. Jesus himself says so in John chapter 3 when he's speaking with Nicodemus, And he says to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So, Jesus says, the bronze serpent on the pole points to him. And part of this is easy. The people of Israel in numbers are dying because of their sin. The world is dying in Jesus' time and all the time because of sin. The serpent is lifted up on on a pole. Jesus is lifted up on a cross. Whoever looks to the serpent lives. Whoever looks to Jesus, whoever trusts in him, lives and is delivered from sin. All those parallels come super easy. Here's the one that's tough. Jesus is symbolized by a serpent, by a snake. And that kind of rubs us the wrong way because a serpent is usually a symbol of evil, a symbol of Satan, and here it represents Jesus. But that's actually precisely why a serpent is chosen in Numbers to point to Jesus. Because on the cross, Jesus is certainly the perfect sacrifice for our sins, but he is also the one bearing all the curse of sin in the place of sinners, right? He takes all of our sin, our guilt, our shame, our iniquities on the cross, and there that cross is a lightning rod for God's wrath. God looks upon his son, sees all the curse of sin, and condemns his son, damns his son on the cross for all of our sin. So, 
as, as we see um, serpents in the Bible and normally think evil, um, Jesus takes on all evil for us and suffers in our place. So as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, and this is the, uh, the New International Version, it's a great translation of this verse, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Got that? So, so God made him who knew no sin, God made Jesus to be sin for us. So on the cross, Jesus is both the perfect sacrifice and he is all sin in one, in one body. And so as we think of, of a servant being evil on the cross, Jesus is the sinner in our place. And in that sense, it makes sense to us that the bronze serpent in numbers points to Jesus. Because the bronze serpent was in the image of those, those things that were killing the Israelites. And Jesus on the cross is bearing all of our sin, which is killing us. And his death there is our salvation. So although the people of Israel grumble against God in, in Numbers 21, and although he pours out some judgment on them in the form of fiery serpents, his great desire is that they still live. And so although he does, he does um, exercise wrath against their sin, he still provides the bronze serpent to, uh, to deliver them. Just as even today, though, we deserve only God's wrath for our sin, and we still have, oh, temporal problems and sufferings and consequences for our sin, because Christ died for us, we have everlasting life, so God is still merciful to you and to me. So rejoice, the devil is defeated, and you are saved because Christ was lifted up on the cross for you, for God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, with that, I'm going to uh, call it on this podcast, um, God grants you every good gift. As you uh, meditate upon this wonderful text of God's law and gospel in Numbers 21, God grant you his blessing if you are teaching this to others. And in all things, the Lord watch over your days and your deeds in his peace. God's peace to you. Amen.